Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. Sometimes I feel like my sermons are just like embarrassing Dan story hour because I just tell stories about myself. So here's another one for you. Uh, when I was in third grade, I, had, I was homeschooled, okay? And I went to this thing every week called Enrichment Group that was just for homeschoolers. And it was like the highlight of my life because it was the only time I saw other people my own age. And so all these kids with their high water pants, you know, go to Enrichment Group and we're all hanging out and it's a great time. And afterwards, a lot of the boys would go outside and play whatever games. Well, there was a bully. His name was John. John was my bully. He was the only bully I ever knew. And what he would do is just like hit you into the side of the arm as hard as he could. He's called a dead arm. And he'd just be like, bam! Anybody ever get dead arms in, in like grade school and junior high? So he did that to me. You know, he just out of nowhere just dead armed me. And I didn't know what to do. He's two years older than me. He's my brother's age. And I didn't know what to do. So I just started running. I just ran away. Like I didn't, I didn't want another one. So I just ran. And what does a bully do when you run from him? But he chases you, right? So he starts chasing me across the field in front of all these other boys. And I felt him. He's a lot older and stronger and faster than I am. I felt him on my heels. I didn't know what to do. And so I did the bravest thing I could think of as a third grader. And I fell to the ground into a little ball waiting for my beating. But instead of a punch... I felt his feet hit the back of me and he went flying over me and like landed awkwardly on his head and on his shoulder. And I hear a collective like gasp from all the other boys and they're like, oh yeah, oh snaps, because the bully had gotten tripped up. And, and John, he went like running inside, he hurt his shoulder or something, I don't remember, but he went running inside and all the other boys were like giving me high fives. And here's the moment I remember the most. So my brother came up to me and he was like, whoa, Daniel, how did you think to trip him up like that? That was amazing. And that was my greatest victory as a human that I don't think I've ever had up to this day. Now, I had no bravery. I had no faith in that battle. But today, we're going to learn about someone, a story of a young man that had all the faith, and he had all the bravery, and he even had humility as he faced an even bigger bully with an even less chance of winning. And this young man's name is David, and we're going to talk about David and Goliath today, this classic but complex story. And we're going to learn three truths today from this story of David and Goliath. So two weeks ago, we began this series about the life of David, where we're looking at his life because he's someone that's described as someone uh, that's pursuing God's heart. And it doesn't mean that he lived a perfect life. Far from it, in fact, if you read his story. But we're looking at his life of what we can learn for the ways that he's responded to God and his successes and even in his failures. And so today, we get to learn from David in a time of his success, a time that he honored God, that had, when he had faith in God and humility. And he had this faith in God un unlike anyone else in all of Israel. When he, you know, picked up those five smooth stones from the riverbed and, and went after this giant. So let me give you some background here. Uh, David, he is the youngest of eight. And his 
three oldest brothers are off fighting this battle with these people called the Philistines. The Philistines want to take their land because it's really good land. They want it. And so his family is defending it with the other Israelites. And his dad, David's dad, said, hey, I want you to go take some provisions to the Israel army and your brothers. So he took some stuff and some, uh, some food and some supplies to them. And while he was there, he had done this multiple times, but this time while he was there, he, he sees Goliath for the first time. He sees this huge giant of a man, about eight feet tall, standing, above, standing out in front of all the other Israels and Israelites and Philistines, and he's just like calling out curses on them. And David sees this, and he takes offense to this. And he says, you know what? I, I'll fight this guy. And his brothers, they say, no, David, are you ridiculous? Get out of here. You cannot fight Goliath. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Th- those are good brothers, right? Like he, should, he has no business fighting this guy. He should be tending the sheep where he belongs. But he puts up enough of a stink to get the attention of King Saul. And so he's going to go talk to King Saul. Now, side note, real quick, uh, King Saul is the first king of Israel. David will become the second king of Israel. And the book of First and Second Samuel is all about the rise and fall of Saul and even the rise and fall of David. And it's about what happens when you lead with pride instead of humility and faith in God. And so we get these, these pictures of these two kings and how they lead, how they respond to God. So here's David. He's got an audience with the king now. He wants to fight Goliath. And we're picking up in 1 Samuel 17.32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Listen to this. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Here's our first of three truths today that we can take away, take home with us. So we can prepare ourselves to recognize the miracles that God has for us. Prepare yourself to recognize the miracles that God has for us. You know, upon first reading it doesn't look like David has prepared for this battle at all, right? He just came to bring food. If he was going to come prepared for this battle, maybe he brings a sword. Maybe he brings his own armor. Maybe he steals his dad's armor out of his closet. Maybe he at least brings his best sling stones from home. But he doesn't even do that. You see, David's faith is not in the latest military tech but his faith was rooted firmly in God's faithfulness. Notice verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear 
will rescue me from this Philistine. He talks about defending his, his father's flock from these wild beasts and taking them on. And that is such a cool story. I mean, that's such a cool story for, for David to, to kill these animals with his bare hands. I thought, man, there's got to be some great art out there. So I just Googled some pictures of David. So I wanted to show you some of those pictures of those. Of those. There they are. Uh, of David taking on these beasts. I love the lion in a headlock. Like, how cool is that? I chose the, the kid's picture one because the bear is terrified. <laughs> I love how terrified that bear is. He can't wait to get away. But this is an amazing story. If I had this story, there is no way I would give any credit to anyone else but myself. I mean, I took on the bear. I took on the lion. But you see that David gives credit to God for his victory. It's God's faithfulness in his life. Even though he did this amazing thing, it's God's faithfulness. So David's main argument to Saul isn't that he's this amazing great warrior, but it's that God's got him, that God's, God's going to protect him. God's going to take care of this situation. David is confident in his victory because he lives with this daily faith that God is there with him and always will be there with him. David's prepared for this battle, not by three-a-day workouts or a, a private hand-to-hand combat coach. He's prepared for this by putting his faith in God. Now, we don't grow. We don't grow to have this faith. David didn't grow to have this faith just by showing up to the battlefield and seeing this Goliath and being like, oh, I'll fight him. It doesn't happen like that. He puts his faith in God, in the little trials of life, just like little daily trials of life. He says, I'm going to put my faith in God in this, in this situation, and in this situation. I'm sure David has story after story of God's great faithfulness in his young life. He's experienced it over and over and over again, and each one of those stories gives him a wind in his sail, a push in his back to do the next thing that requires great faith. David wrote a lot of the Psalms. The one that I'm about to read to you, though, Psalm 91, he did not write. But listen to this, Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. This psalm was originally written by Moses. And so as a, as a young Jewish man, David would have certainly known this psalm. He would have probably sung it out in his field. Maybe he made up his own melody as he was watching his sheep. He probably sung it with his family and uh, his, uh, his community as they worshipped. He knew this psalm well. And I can't help but just wonder, I don't know for sure, I'll ask him when we get to heaven, but I can't help but wonder if he was like singing this in his head, reciting this in his head as he went 
down into the valley, picked up those smooth stones on his way to fight Goliath, if he was saying, God, you're covering me with your feathers. You're sheltering me with your wings. You're my protection. Your promises are my armor. Imagine this. Imagine encountering your next trial, even just a little trial. I'm not talking about a Goliath-sized trial, just even a little trial. Imagine encountering your next trial with this kind of faith, the faith that David has, with an attitude that says, I've got a hundred stories of God's faithfulness in my life, so why would this time be any different? What are your stories What are your stories of God's faithfulness? The big ones and the little ones. How has God been faithful to you? Just in the last couple of weeks, how has he been faithful to you? When faced with your next giant, remember those. Recall his faithfulness in your life. Praise him for those. We prepare to recognize our next miracle by saying yes to God in the little things. And we prepare for the next miracle by recounting those stories of God's faithfulness in those situations. David shouldn't have even recognized that he could do something about Goliath. That wasn't his problem. He should have just gone home and said, all right, brothers, good luck with that one. I'm going to go back to my fields. But because of his great faith, he saw that God could use him to do something about it. We're invited to build our faith in God one little step at a time. In every little thing, we say, God, my faith is in you. My faith is in you. And those trials will get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger to the point where we can say, even in this big trial, God, my faith is in you. And we we collect all of these stories of God's faithfulness so that when the giant comes out of left field that shouldn't, we shouldn't even be aware that there's a giant that we can take care of. We say, hey, My God's got this. My God's going to take care of this. Just like he took care of Goliath. Let's continue this story. Uh, We are in verse 37 now. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. And so David, he took them off. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. Our second point is is trust in God's armor. Trust in the armor God's given you. Imagine being David and being offered the king's armor. Like this is the best armor in the land. The king owns it. The best craftsmen have made it. The best craftsmen have, have made this sword. It's like probably perfectly balanced or whatever a sword is supposed to be. He had it. And it was given to David. He said, here, take this. He didn't want to use it. This is like us, you know, like wearing the crown jewels. Can you imagine like going over to to Great Britain and and they'd be like, hey, you want to put on the queen's crown and wear it around town for a day? You'd be like, yes, please, that'd be awesome. 
King Saul and, and any reasonable person would say that wearing the best armor available gives David the best chance at survival. We're not even talking about winning here. No one thought he could win. Like, we're just trying to get this kid to survive. But David tries it on and says, no, this isn't cutting it. I'm going to go with what I know. And it's not Saul's armor that's going to protect him. It's not even his sling that's going to protect him. It's what he says in verse 37, what he's going to say in verse 46 and 47 as he taunts Goliath, that the faithfulness of God is his protection. God's going to take care of him. God's got this. He just goes with what he knows, and that's his faith in God. You know, what, if we look at this and we, we look at the passage and we ask the question, what are Saul's men waiting for? Like, they, they've been around Goliath for 40 days. There's kind of a standoff right now. They've seen him for 40 days. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for a champion, someone that can compare to Goliath, someone that could take on Goliath in physical stature and skill, a proven warrior like Goliath to take him on. But as we learned from Liz's message last week, that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God doesn't judge a champion by their feats of strength. But he looks at the heart. And so when David puts on the armor, it's the closest he could come to looking like a champion. It seemingly offered him the best odds to win, the best odds for protection. Everybody thought, like, surely this kind of armor will protect you. But David knew that that wasn't going to cut it. David knew that, like the last line of Psalm 91 says, his armor and protection are faithfulness, is the faithfulness of God. And so when he took it off, it had to be shocking to everyone around him that this young man put aside the king's armor and started going towards this great warrior in nothing but street clothes. God's armor doesn't look like protection to the rest of the world. And the world's armor doesn't look like protection to this young man of God. You know, a while later, many generations later in the Bible, we read in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes about what it looks like to wear the armor of God. And he says this. This is Ephesians 6, 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all the armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood and enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against many powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. 
Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Even though this scripture is written generations after David, as we read the life of David in First and Second Samuel, we see that David is continually putting on the armor of God, as described in Ephesians. He put the belt of truth. He valued truth even when it wasn't convenient for him. Even when it was convicting and caused him pain, he valued the truth and responded to it. The body armor of God's righteousness, he knew that he needed God's righteousness because like all of us, the righteousness that we produce by ourselves isn't enough. Peace that comes from the good news. This is the good news of Jesus who's come to be with us and have final victory over evil and gift us with God's perfect righteousness. And David looks forward to the Messiah, looks forward to Jesus. You'll see even as he's, he taunts Goliath here in a minute, and even as he's doing that, he gives us a foreshadowing to the Messiah. It's really beautiful. I'll point it out here in a minute. The, the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. We see through most of David's life that his faith is strong. And through his faith, he's able to withstand all sorts of trials. Salvation as your helmet. Salvation is in David's heart. Just read the Psalms. And the sword of the Spirit, God's word. We know that David loved God's word. The first Psalm that we ever have from, uh, the first Psalm that we have is a Psalm about David treasuring scripture. So David was able to put aside the tantalizing prospect of using King Saul's armor because he already had armor that worked for him. He had the best armor. His faith was in the things of God, not in the things of man. And we have the same opportunity to put our trust in the things of God instead of the things of man. As earthly beings, we naturally uh, lean towards earthly protection. And we may not need military armor, but our parallel might be a trust in money that says, hey, if I can just have this amount of money in my bank account, then I will feel safe in life. Or maybe it's in a relationship that if I could just have this relationship, then all will be right. Or maybe it's in uh, faith in status uh, that, that if I can just have this status at my work or in my family or in my friend group, then everything will be all right and I'll feel safe relationally. Of course, there's nothing wrong with pursuing those things. That's just called ambition and is a biblical character quality that we should have. But when we move our trust from the armor of God to the things of the world, we miss out on what God has for us. We miss, and when we do that, we miss seeing Goliath. We, even, we just miss that he's even there, that God wants to do something about that trial, that God wants to help us overcome it. And no one wants to fight Goliath unless you have the faith of David. You can't, you can't even see, you won't even notice Goliath. You'll just go home just like David should have done. But he has such a great faith in God that he says, I can take this on. So don't be swindled by the paper-thin armor of the world. Instead, find deep fulfillment in putting your trust in God and in his armor. 
Let's keep reading. This is verse 41. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. This is where it starts to get a little PG-13. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you. And David escalates this to R-rated now. And I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. And then I will give the bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that, the God, res- that God rescues his people, not with the sword and spear. That's a reference to Jesus coming in the future. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. That brings us to the third truth we can take away, that the battle is God's. The trial that you have going right now, whether it's a big one or just a small daily one that you've got to go through, that battle is God's. This is what David recognizes here as he calls out, the Lord will conquer, and this is the Lord's battle. You know, we tend to think of this story as a story just between two people. These guys are going to fight. And then at the end, God comes out and sprinkles the miracle. And then, yay, David wins, right? But this is primarily a spiritual battle. It's a little, puny, ruddy-faced man up against a giant with a 100% chance of winning. Only in the spiritual realm, the ruddy-faced man is Goliath. And he's up against the God of the universe, who is eternally undefeated. In the past, now, and in the future. Eternally undefeated. In David's life and in your life. What if we went into our battles that way? What if we prayed for for the people that we see going through battles, what if we prayed for them in that way that God's got this, that God's got the victory, it's his battle, he's gonna take care of it. And we're just there to say, hey God, how can I be used? How do you wanna use me in this? Now does that mean that we stop trying because it's God's battle and not ours? Of course not. Do we stop praying Do we stop asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done? No. We keep asking God, where do you want to use me in this battle? Where do you want to use me to win your victory? We go into the battle with the armor that God's given to us, our faith in him, our sling in hand. We say, God's got this. How do you want to use me in this victory? What if we went into our battles of life like David did, with that kind of faith, saying the battle's God's, the victory is God's, just just use me. When we have that kind of thinking, our mentality then shifts from 
uh, God, help me with this. God, will you help me with this trial I'm going through? To a shift that says, God, okay, I have seen you do all of these things in my life. You've been so faithful to me. I know that this battle is yours. How do you want to use me in it? So three things. The three things that we can take away from David and Goliath is that the battle is God's. It belongs to him. We trust in the armor of God, not the world's. And that we can prepare ourselves to recognize the miracle that God has for us by living a life of daily faith. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the story. We thank you for the truth that you are always with us, that you're fighting our battles. Thanks for being an undefeated God, both now, in the past, and forever. God, give us the strength to remember that because it's so easy to forget. Give us faith like David in the little things and in the big things. Jesus, we love you. Amen. We're going to sing three songs together. And after the first song, there's going to be a couple people in the back that just want to pray for you. So if you'd like prayer about anything at all, it can be the littlest thing or the biggest thing, they'd love to pray for you, speak encouraging words over you. Everything they pray is encouraging. But I do want to give this, as I was writing this, from the very beginning, I just felt like there's a couple people, this isn't for everyone, this is just for a couple people, that that David could have gone home, right? He should have gone home. He shouldn't have noticed Goliath as his problem to deal with. But because his faith was built up so much, he said, you know what? I've got such faith in God that my God can take care of Goliath. No problem. And I think there's a couple of you here today where God's pointed something out to you. Maybe it's a cause to fight for, an injustice to fight against. And and you just noticed that. You've noticed that injustice. You've noticed that cause. You say, I can't do anything about that. But I think today God's asking you, do you want to do anything about this with me? Do you want to do anything? And no one's going to judge you if you choose to go home. You're supposed to go home. You're not supposed to do anything about it. But I think it's time to respond to God and see if you can't do something with his battle. If you can respond to him and say, God, this is your victory. How do you want me to be a part of? How do you want me to be a part of it? So if that's you, if that describes something, if you're noticing something that maybe you're supposed to do in someone else's life, Maybe it's globally, maybe it's locally, maybe it's just in your family. We want to pray for you today. We'd love to pray that encouraging, encouraging words of victory for what you're about to take on. So uh, let's stand and sing together. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org.
oh, hey, you're still here. You're, you're like one of my favorite people. The, the kind of person that like sticks around after church while everybody else has left. Like you're still one of the last ones talking. You're like the podcast version of that person. And while I have you here, uh, if you didn't know, this is Pastor Dan. Uh, while I have you here, I just want to say, hey, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come to life if you're in the central Illinois area. If you're listening to this outside of central Illinois, go find a vineyard church. Vineyard churches are amazing places. Go find one near you. And if you're not near a vineyard church, then uh, just find a church, a community of believers that you can be involved with, be in community with. I think we are our best spiritual selves when we are in community with other people who are following Jesus. That's what the church is for. So we hope to see you here. And if not here, go find a community of believers that you can get involved with this week. All right. Thanks for listening. See you later.